The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the chief musician, Satu Mahalat Leonot, a contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift from the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand, you have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me, you have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. We are now in Numbers chapter 7, verses 10 through 89. As I said last week, this is a very long, repetitive chapter in the Bible. Last week was not so much so. There were nine verses and they went rather quickly. These verses repeat heavily over 72 of them. In other words, you have six verses of the 12 tribes of Israel all repeating each other. Please don't get worn out. I think that you'll understand at the end of this why the Lord did this, and I think you'll appreciate this passage in a way that you have never appreciated it before. Has everybody read this passage? Has anybody here not read this passage before? I think everybody, you've never read it. Okay, other than her, you've all read it, and you know that it's something that you say, why is this in here? Stay tuned. All right, we're going to go to Numbers chapter 7. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you all of the verses of the first day of their presentation offering. And after that, I'm only going to read the name at the beginning and the end. Okay? And that will save us a lot of time. And I'm going to do the same during the sermon. And, yes, I'm going to do it during the poem as well. I'm not trying to eliminate anything from the Word of God, but it repeats. And then I will give you all of the information you need to know to understand why it repeats. Okay? So here we go. This is Numbers chapter 7, starting in verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed, so the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Verse 18, on the second day, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. Insert the offering there. Verse 23, this was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zuar. Verse 24, 
On the third day, Eliab, the son of Halon, leader of the children of Zebulun, presented an offering. Insert the same offering. <coughs> this was the offering of Eliab, the son of Halon. Verse 30. On the fourth day, Elitzer, the son of Shedeur, leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering. Going down to verse 35, this was the offering of Litzor, the son of Shedeur. Verse 36, on the fifth day, Shalumiel, the son of Zorah Shaddai, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. Down in verse 41, this was the offering of Shalumiel, the son of Zorah Shaddai. Verse 42, on the sixth day, Eliasaf, the son of Deuel, leader of the children of Gad, presented an offering. It's the same offering. Verse 47, this was the offering of Eliasaf, the son of Deuel. Verse 48, on the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amihud, leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. Verse 53, this was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihud. Verse 54, on the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Padazur, leader of the children of Manasseh, presented an offering. Insert the offering. Verse 59, this was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Padazur. Verse 60, on the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, leader of the children of Benjamin, presented an offering. Verse 65 ends with, this was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideoni. Verse 66, on the 10th day, Ahizar, the son of Amishadai, leader of the children of Dan, presented an offering. Put in the offering, and at the end of verse 71, this was the offering of Ahizar, the son of Amishadai. Verse 72, on the 11th day, Pagiel, the son of Okran, leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering. Verse 77 ends with, this was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okran. Verse 78, on the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Anan, leader of the children of Naphtali, presented an offering. Insert the offering. Verse 83 ends with, this was the offering of Ahira, the son of Anan. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed, 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, and 12 gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and each bowl 70 shekels. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were 12 young bulls, the rams 12, the male lambs in their first year 12 with their grain offering, and the kids of the goats as a sin offering 12. And all of the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls, the rams 60, the male goats 60, and the lambs in their first year 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Verse 89. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony. From between the two cherubim, thus he spoke to him. I'm going to be as honest as I can about today's verses in two ways. The first is that when I get to this particular set of verses, specifically verses 12 through 83, I do exactly what I just did for you. I only read the whole set of verses 12 through 17, and then only the first and last verse of the other 11 sets of verses, just as I have done for you. Funny thing, my mom said to me that she does the exact same thing when she gets here. The reason we do this is that they are seemingly identical, word for word, all the way through with the exception of the names. I have a tight schedule and repetition leads to time use and time use leads to getting backed up in other areas. Yes, I feel kind of guilty about skipping over the repetition, but repetition leads to time use and time use leads to getting backed up in other areas. Now that we're sufficiently backed up because of my repetition, I'll move on by saying that not all repetition is tedious, and I will occasionally have someone say to me that they enjoy repetition in sermons and Bible studies. It helps things to sink in because they're repeated. I don't disagree with that at all, and things seem to sink in better when they are repeated. In the case of these repetitive verses in this chapter, they aren't placed here for that reason. Rather than highlighting their similarities, they're actually given for quite the opposite reason. If you can make it all the way through to verse 89, which will be in about three hours and 45 minutes, I will finish that verse and then explain the reason to you. Our text verse comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's verses 3 and 4. 
as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. The second way I need to be honest about today's sermon is that much of the final analysis of the sermon after the verses are finished actually came from the brain of Sergio Voitenko. Had he not looked into these some years ago, I have no idea what my final comments would have been like. Probably, I would have told you that the Bible was giving us a lesson in the beneficial use of repetition. If you need me to say that again, just holler out. But he did analyze it. And then he went to the Jewish commentaries on this to see what they had to say. Now, you know, I'm not a fan of Jewish commentaries in many respects because they don't stick to the Bible and they often devolve into endless genealogies, just as Paul said about them. In the case of their conclusions here, they stuck to scripture. In fact, they mirror much of what Christians say about the Messiah. As Sergio noted in his thoughts, he said, what a shame some rabbis get so close to Jesus, but yet are so blind. Can't imagine what it would be like when they realize one day what they have missed for these 2,000 years. As far as the minute detail of the coming verses, John Lang says the following. We have thus a sample of sacred divine bookkeeping whose separate lesson is that God is careful in all dealings with his people down to details and minutia. And this revelation is so comforting that we must not grudge the large space allowed to these entries and wish that they were replaced by records that would clear up many things in this part of scripture that are now very obscure. On that, he is right in that this is a sample of sacred divine bookkeeping. However, the minutiae actually clear up the seemingly obscure. Stay attentive as we go on. And one final way that I need to be honest, the sermon won't take three hours and 45 minutes. At best, it will take three hours and 30 minutes. Great things lie ahead in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is the offerings of the dedication. It's verses 10 through 89. Verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering. These words initiate the details of the recording of the dedication of the altar. What follows will be the longest set of repetitions in Scripture. The same words appear to be used 12 times in the same manner, with the exception of the names of the tribe making the offering and the leader in the tribe who makes the offering. Each day's offering, which follows, consists of six verses, which almost identically repeat. The question is, why would the Lord repeat the same words 12 times over 72 verses when on the surface it appears to be wholly unnecessary, even to the point of being overly tedious to the mind? Is God simply wasting words that could have been reduced to something like, the same offering was presented by each tribe over the subsequent 11 days? One thing is for sure. No later writer of the account would have ever thought of compiling it in the manner in which it was written. Thus, it stands as a testimony to the fact that Moses is the author, and he recorded it as it occurred and exactly as the Lord determined. If we get nothing else out of this today, we should remember that fact. This account fully substantiates that Moses recorded what is presented. Here at the start of verse 10, it says, Vayikrivu ha-nesim et chanukat. And the princes brought near the dedication. The word for dedication is a new one in scripture, which will be seen eight times, but four of them will be in this chapter. It is a word almost all people are familiar with today, Hanukkah. Today, it is used when speaking of the festival of Hanukkah, which stems from the dedication of the temple by the Maccabees during the intertestamental period. The festival is noted in John 10 verse 22 as something which was observed even when Jesus came. Now in Numbers, there is a dedication which is brought near. Verse 10 continues, for the altar. The Hebrew says, Hamizbeach, the altar. The altar is dedicated by these offerings. The offerings are brought forth by each tribe for this purpose. Thus, each day is a dedication of the altar by the tribe, bringing forth its offering. This will be expressed in verse 84. It is the thing spoken of which is dedicated, not the offering itself. Here, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it is the altar which is spoken of. 
In Nehemiah chapter 12, it is the wall which is referred to. And Psalm 30 speaks of the dedication of the house of David. There is a question as to whether the term for the altar is speaking of both the brazen altar and the altar of incense. The reason why is because incense is one of the ingredients which is presented. That does not seem to be a necessary conclusion. Frankincense is presented with the offerings on the brazen altar, as is noted in the book of Leviticus. Further, the special incense for the golden altar was to be made for and used only by the priests. There is no reason to assume that the incense presented here is for anything except the brazen altar. The dedication is speaking only of the brazen altar. Verse 10 continues, when it was anointed. Here it says, Beyom ha-masach, in the day it was anointed. As we have seen before, this doesn't literally mean on the day of the anointing, but in the time of its anointing. The anointing occurred in Leviticus chapter 8 in a ceremony which lasted seven days. The presentation here is one which takes 12 days. And so the offering of dedication is during the time frame of the altar's anointing. Verse 10 continues, so the leaders offered their offering before the altar. The leaders represent the people under them, and thus they represent the individual tribes, 12 of them. <laughs> the offerings are made for their tribes, and they are offered in exactly the same order as the listing of the tribes around the sanctuary, as is detailed in Numbers chapter 2. But I want you to remember that these offerings were made before that actually occurred in Numbers chapter 2, and then they're mentioned that way again in Numbers chapter 10. As they are encamped and as they will head out in procession, so each also presents an offering. Verse 11, for the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. As is often the case, the Hebrew reads much more elegantly. It says, and said Jehovah unto Moses, one prince a day, one prince a day, they are to bring near their offering for the dedication of the altar. The offerings were to be made, but what should be the order? Should they be by birth order? Should they be all in one day? In what manner were they to come near? The Lord determined what was to be done, and then he passed that on to Moses. It is as the tribes are laid out according to the cross, and as the sun lights the sky during the spring of the year, from east to south to west to north, so the offerings of each leader is to be made. And they are to be one day at a time. It is a royal procession to bring an offering before the king of the universe. Now begins the tedious repetition of these verses. I'm going to do the same thing I did for you before by reading only the first verse of each set of sixes and the last portion of the last verse of each set of sixes with the exception of the first tribe to present his offerings, which we will evaluate. Verse 12. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadav, from the tribe of Judah. Starting with Judah, the fourth born to Jacob, but from whom would come Messiah, the offering is made. Other than these three names, Nashon, Aminadav, and Judah, we won't repeat the meaning of the names of each offering as they have been listed already in two previous sermons. Nashon means serpent person. Aminadav means people of the prince. Judah means praise. In selecting Judah first, we have a picture for us to always remember. Praise is to go first before the Lord. Verse 13, his offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels. The translation is lacking. It says in the Hebrew, ve karebano, and his offering. Things like this are placed into the word of God for a reason. To leave them out leaves the studious reader with a lack of understanding concerning what is being relayed. The offering presented is first to be a ka'arat kesef, or dish silver. The word ke'era, or dish, is used 17 times and only in Exodus and in Numbers. It comes from a word which means to tear or cut out. Thus it is speaking of something hollowed out like a shallow bowl. Silver pictures redemption. The weight is given as 130 shekels. As this is silver, it was not used in the tabernacle, only as gold vessels were used there. This one, in the future, would probably be used at the brazen altar for mixing grain offerings. Verse 13 continues, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels. Next is a mizrak, or bowl. This comes from the word zarak, meaning to scatter. And so it would be a deeper bowl than the first presented. This one is to be a bit more than half the size of the previous dish, 70 shekels. 
This one would probably have been used in the future for receiving the blood of the sacrificial animals and then splashing it on the side of the altar. The weight of each of these vessels was to be, verse 13 continues, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel of the sanctuary is described five times in the Bible as being the weight of 20 geras. A gera is a set standard, like a grain in our modern weights. Of these bulls, verse 13 continues, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. Both bowls were to be filled with solet belula bashamen, fine flour mixed with oil. The flour, or solet, comes from an unused root meaning to strip, thus it is fine flour. Into that is mixed oil so that it becomes one mixture. The mixture was brought as a grain offering. These picture Christ, as has been seen in previous sermons. As they are in silver, it points to the human aspect of Jesus working out our redemption in his humanity. Next, verse 14, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense. The word here is kaf. It literally means hand. Thus, it is a pan or a cup. But being only ten shekels, it would be very dinky. In it would be incense. The gold points to the deity of Jesus Christ the incense to his intercessory role in his divine nature. Also, verse 15, one young bull, one ram, and one lamb in its first year. The par, or bull, comes from the word parar, meaning to defeat. The ayil, or ram, is from the same as ul, meaning mighty. And the kabes, or lamb, is from an unused root, meaning to dominate. We saw all of this in the previous Leviticus sermons. The lamb is in its first year indicating innocence. Each of these points to the work of Jesus Christ, as has been seen in those sermons. It is Christ who defeats the devil through his might and who remained innocent and free of sin, pictured in these animals. These are then offered up, verse 15 continues, as a burnt offering. The burnt offering is one which is burnt up completely. It pictures a life dedicated wholly to God. The symbolism then is that these are offered on behalf of the people who have dedicated their lives in this way. But the offerings picture Christ who makes that possible. Verse 16, one kid of the goats as a sin offering. This is a seir izim or shaggy goat. The word seir means hairy. The word izim means goat coming from the word azaz or prevail. It is the same as the two goats presented on the day of atonement in Leviticus 16 verse 5. It is presented because hair in the Bible denotes awareness. In this case, it is an awareness of sin. The first time this word, sayir, or hairy, was used was when speaking of Esau, who is called a hairy man. He pictured fallen Adam, who became aware of sin through his disobedience of the Lord's command. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 3, that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. In doing this, he condemned sin in the flesh. He prevailed over it. This is the purpose of presenting a hairy goat. It pictures Christ who came in this manner. This then acknowledges the sin of the people, but that the animal picturing Christ is given to take their place. Verse 17, And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, and five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. Also is a peace offering, which consists of two bakar, or oxen. That comes from a verb signifying to seek out. Also five ayil, or rams, signifying strength. Further, five atud, or male goats, they have never before, these atudim have never before been mentioned in the sacrificial system. So you have to ask yourself, when something is introduced like this, why is this goat being introduced into the sacrificial system? It's never been mentioned in the book of Leviticus, which spoke of the sacrificial system, right? The word comes from atod, which signifies destined, as in ready to become. Along with them are to be five kebes, or lambs, of the first year. They again signify to dominate. As these are peace offerings, they picture seeking out peace with God through Christ, resting in his strength, destined to become what God expects of us in Christ, and looking to dominate over the flesh through the power of Christ. To understand the significance of the offerings themselves, meaning the burnt, sin, and peace offerings, took sermon after sermon after sermon in the book of Leviticus. Time prohibits repeating all of that here, and so a review of those Leviticus sermons is necessary if you want to grasp all that these short verses now encompass. Verse 17 continues, This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadav. This concludes the offering of the first day as given by Nashon. 
Verses 18 through 23. On the second day, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. Insert the offering here. This was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zuar. The second day sees the offering of the second tribe, which is also the second tribe under Judah's standard to the east. Verses 24 through 29. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Halon, leader of the children of Zebulun, presented an offering. Insert that offering here. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Halon. The third day sees the offering of the third tribe, which is also the third tribe under Judah's standard to the east. Verses 30 through 35. On the fourth day, Elitzur, the son of Shedeur, leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering. Insert the offering here. This was the offering of Elitzur, the son of Shedeur. The fourth day sees the offering of the fourth tribe, which is also the first tribe under Reuben's standard to the south. Verse 36 through 41. On the fifth day, Shalumiel, the son of Zurashaddai, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. Please insert it here. This was the offering of Shalumiel, the son of Zurashaddai. The fifth day sees the offering of the fifth tribe, which is also the second tribe under Reuben's standard to the south. Verses 42 through 47. On the sixth day, Eliasaf, the son of Deuel, leader of the children of Gad, presented an offering. Insert the offering. This was the offering of Eliasaf, the son of Deuel. The sixth day sees the offering of the sixth tribe, which is also the third tribe under Reuben's standard to the south. We're halfway done with the offerings already, right? <laughs> Verses 48 through 53. On the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amihud, the leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. Insert the offering here. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihud. The seventh day sees the offering of the seventh tribe, which is also the first tribe under Ephraim's standard to the west. As the seventh day is noted here, it should be considered that whether this was a Sabbath or not, eventually there would be at least one or even two presentations which occurred on a Sabbath. If so, it may be considered acceptable as it occurred in conjunction with their established religion. However, it may be that there was no offering at all made on the Sabbath, and the counting of days skips over the Sabbath. Thus, the term on the XX day speaks of the day of the offerings, not the subsequent day in time. As the people were told to rest on the Sabbath, this very well may be the case, but as we saw in the previous sermon, it very well may not be, because these 12 days fit perfectly into the time frame, which I know you all listened to perfectly last week and remember. Okay, <laughs> verses 54 through 59. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, leader of the children of Manasseh, presented an offering. Please insert it here. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. The eighth day sees the offering of the eighth tribe, which is also the second tribe under Ephraim's standard to the west. Verses 60 through 65. On the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, leader of the children of Benjamin, presented an offering. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideoni. The ninth day sees the offering of the ninth tribe, which is also the third tribe under Ephraim's standard to the west. Does everybody remember the symbolism of Ephraim and that tribe and the west? Grace. Remember the top of the cross, grace. Verses 66 through 71. On the tenth day, Ahizer, the son of Amishadai, leader of the children of Dan, presented an offering. Insert the offering. This was the offering of Ahizer, the son of Amishadai. The tenth day sees the offering of the tenth tribe, which is also the first tribe under Dan's standard to the north. Remember, when the sun is coming up in the springtime, it comes up kind of from the south south east, right? And when it comes up, the sun alights first from the east, then on the south, then on the north, and then, oh, I'm sorry, on the west, and then on the north. So it's as the sun is arising, it's also as the cross is laid out, as we saw in that previous sermon. It is astonishing to think of this. Verses 72 through 77. On the 11th day, Pagiel, the son of Okran, leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering. Insert the offering. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okran. The 11th day sees the offering of the 11th tribe, which is also the second tribe under Dan's standard to the north. Verses 78 through 83, on the 12th day, Ahira, the son of Anan, leader of the children of Naphtali, presented an offering. We put in our final offering here. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Anan. The 12th day sees the offering of the 12th tribe, which is also the third tribe under Dan's standard to the north. Verse 84, this was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel. The Hebrew says, Zot Hanukat HaMizbeach. 
This dedication, the altar. The altar is dedicated through the 12 offerings from each tribe, tribe by tribe. Verse 84 continues, when it was anointed. It again reads, in the day it was anointed, Bayom. Thus, this is speaking of the entire period of the offering as being in relation to the day which the altar was anointed. Verse 84 continues, 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, and 12 golden pans. The dedication spoken of in the first clause is now explained by this and the following verses. What was presented is what brings about the dedication of the altar. One of each item here was presented by each tribe. Verse 85, each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and each bowl 70 shekels. The combined weight of the silver platters is 1,560 shekels. The combined weight of the silver bowls is 840 shekels. Verse 85 continues, all the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The combined weight of the silver is given. This according to the sanctuary shekel, which is 20 geras to the shekel. Verse 86, the 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, all the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. Interestingly, the weight of the gold in geras, which is 20 geras to the shekel, is the same number as the shekels of silver. There are 2,400 shekels of silver and 120 shekels of gold, which equals 2,400 geras. 2,400 is 12 times 200. Not to read too much into this, but the number 12 we know from the Bible is the number of governmental perfection. And the number 200 is the number of insufficiency. As this is for the dedication of the altar, what does that mean? It appears to point to the insufficiency of this Old Testament sacrificial system to accomplish what it is designed for. Thus, it is an implicit reference to the need for a new covenant led by Christ and structured around his 12 apostles. Now, how did I know that? Because I just happened to remember that there are 20 garrison in a shekel, and I thought I'd do the math, and I got out my calculator, and there it is. Insufficiency in what is being presented to us here. It is showing us we need something greater. We need what these only point to, Jesus Christ. Verse 87, all the oxen for the burnt offering were 12 young bulls, the rams 12, the male lambs in their first year 12, with their grain offering, and the kids of the goats as a sin offering 12. We love you very much. Please have a safe trip, okay? Take good care of yourself. We have some missionaries leaving, so I'm interrupting the sermon to say goodbye. Take good care, okay? The totals for the burnt and sin offerings are given, one of each animal for each tribe. The grain offerings are only now mentioned, but it is understood from the laws given in Leviticus that these would accompany the sacrifices. All of these together, the burnt, grain, and sin offerings were given in anticipation of Christ to come. In themselves, they could accomplish nothing except to picture what he would do. This is explicitly stated in the book of Hebrews. Verse 88, And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls, the rams 60, the male goats 60, and the lambs in their first year 60. The combined totals of each animal for the peace offerings are given here. Those combined then total 204 animals, and then combining these with the burnt and sin offerings equals a total number of animals offered at 252 over a period of 12 days. 36 is whole burnt offerings, and 216 were partially burned, and the rest were eaten according to the laws given for sin and peace offerings. Verse 88 continues, this was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. The word achar, or after, confirms what has already been deduced. The term bayom, or in the day of the anointing of the altar, which has already been used, is speaking of the entire duration of the dedication. The entire process of the dedication is counted as the day of the altar's anointing. With this, the altar is now dedicated to serve in the capacity for which it was built. Through the offering presented by each leader, the people have, tribe by <coughs> tribe, symbolically offered themselves to God through Christ. They have had their sins symbolically atoned for through Christ, and they have symbolically partaken of the body of Christ. Now, everything in Leviticus concerning the sacrifices to be conducted at this altar, and all of which point to the coming Messiah, can now be performed and accepted because of this time of dedication. Verse 89, now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, 
To close out this long and very complicated chapter, we have a verse that seemingly has nothing to do with anything, but actually this isn't so. The first verse of chapter 7 said, Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. That took us all the way back to Exodus 40 verse 17 when the tabernacle was said to have been raised up. Since then, the entire sacrificial system has been outlined and numerous laws have been given. Also, the priests have been consecrated and the Levites were then set apart for service to the priests. Here in this chapter, the people have consecrated the altar and offered themselves tribe by tribe in anticipation of the coming Christ. And now, to close all of that out, we come to this verse. We understand in this how Moses received his word from the Lord. It says that he would go into the tent of meeting to speak with him. What is understood is that him is Jehovah, who has been speaking out his word to Moses. This is confirmed back in Exodus 25 at the giving of the directions for the construction of the ark. There it said these words, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put up the testimony that I will give you and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That is now revealed to actually be the case. When Moses went in, it says, verse 89 continues, he heard the voice of one speaking to him. The verb here is in a particular form where it expresses the reflexive voice, where the subject of the verb is both performing and receiving the verbal action. Maybe better stated, this should say, he heard the voice conversing with him. It is debated if Moses stood outside the veil or if he alone was allowed inside the veil apart from the special day of atonement allowances. In Exodus 33, 11, it said that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This means that they had open and free discussion, not literally or necessarily seeing one another's face. However, in Numbers 12, verse 8, it also says that Moses sees the form of the Lord. That implies a physical manifestation of the Lord, presumably the eternal Christ in his incarnate form. Either way, the voice was audible, and it both spoke to and responded to Moses. As God doesn't have parts, and as a voice requires something to make a voice resonate, it is at least partially a foreshadowing of the incarnation where God would literally speak with a mouth through the person of Jesus Christ. For now, though, the mouth of the Lord would speak, verse 89 finishes with, from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, thus he spoke to him. The eternal word of God, Jehovah, who is the Lord Jesus, would converse with Moses from above the mercy seat that was on the ark. As the mercy seat points to the place of Christ's atoning death, and as the ark of the testimony points to Christ, the fulfillment and thus embodiment of the law, it is appropriate that this verse is placed right here. It is after the offering of the tribes for the dedication of the altar, which points to the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, which Christ would accomplish, that we are told how he spoke to Moses. The name Moses means he who draws out. Moses went in to draw out from the Lord that which needed to be expressed to the people and that the Lord would be there conversing with him. From the spot which pictures his fulfillment of the covenant, he would speak out the words of the covenant which anticipated his coming in order to fulfill it. It's a rather remarkable thing to consider. An offering to God, an offering for peace, one which signifies fellowship so sweet. It stems from our daily trod, and in Christ it shall never cease, because in him our fellowship is complete. Cleanse us in our inward parts. Lead us in your peace. May we join together with you, O precious Lord. Purify our minds and our hearts. May this joy never cease. Through Christ, may we always be in one accord. Thank you for the cross from whence atonement came. Upon that offering, we can now add an offering of peace. Together, they point to the same great name. Both look to Jesus, where joyous fellowship will never, never cease. Our second thought today, why so many repetitive verses? 
It has always been a curiosity why the Lord didn't just say what the offerings were for the first day and then say that the leader of each subsequent tribe made similar offerings over the next 11 days. The tally at the end would have clarified that well enough, but he didn't do this. And so being curious as to why, our friend Sergio Voitenko put these verses into the computer and looked for any differences. And there are actually some. First, the only tribe that doesn't use the term nasi or prince is that of Judah. All the others say on the XX day, XX, the son of XX, leader or nasi, prince of the children of XX, presented an offering. In verse 12, however, it says of Judah, and the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadav, from the tribe of Judah. No Nasi, no prince. Secondly, verse 13 is identical to all other 11 corresponding verses, but with one exception, which I highlighted to you when I was giving you the verses. It contains the letter Vav at the beginning of the verse, translated as and, and his offering. The other 11 simply begin with his offering was. It would make more sense to say and at the beginning of the last 11, not only say it during the first, but this is how it is. And then thirdly, the exact same offerings are used letter for letter in all of the other verses with two exceptions. In verse 17 and in verse 23, the word atudim or male goats, remember I said that's introduced for a reason? It is spelled ayin, tav, vav, dalit, yud, mem. However, in the other 10, it is spelled without the letter vav. You can see it on the board over there if you want to look at it. Those are the only differences in all 72 verses. The word nasi and three vavs. The reason for the exacting repetition of these 72 verses is now clear. The Lord had these variations which needed to be highlighted. The way to accomplish this was to write every section, verse, word, and letter identically with those changes as well. In doing this, the changes would then be seen as purposeful. Only was this realized for those two vavs for 3,500 years after it was completed until Sergio saw it in his computer analysis. They knew that Nasi was different. They knew that the Vav in the beginning of the word and was different. But he had to get a computer out to find this. 3,500 years later. Anyway, the first change, the leaving off of the term Nasi or prince, is though Nashan is the prince of Judah, he was not named specifically as prince because from this tribe would come the true Nasi or prince. This is actually referred to in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Here's what it says from the JPS Tanakh version. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came he that is prince. Though speaking immediately about David, it is referring prophetically to the Messiah, the seed of David. Hence, the term nasi or prince is left off here in anticipation of the coming Messiah. The second variation, that of the Vav, or and, beginning verse 13, is explained by the lack of the term prince in verse 12. The and therefore acknowledges that an offering was made by Nashon, who though the leader was not acknowledged as such. The Vav is the sixth number of the Aleph Bet. This is going to be a little confusing unless you pay attention. Six is the number of man. Everybody got that. In the Bible, six is the number of man. The Vav is the sixth letter of the Aleph Bet. Nashon made his offering, but the title being left off looked forward to the greater man who would lead the tribe and the congregation who is Jesus. Even the ancient rabbis understood the Vav points to Messiah in this way. Although their commentaries are not the Bible, in this case they are like any other scholar's comments based on the Bible. All right? In the Midrash Rabbah of Numbers, they looked at the Vav as an anticipation of six righteous men who had come from Judah. Now get this, Nashon is the grandfather of Boaz, and Boaz is the grandfather of David. Thus, David, who anticipates the coming Messiah, is the sixth from Nashon. Everybody got that? He's the sixth descendant from Nashon. Along with him, David, the sages lifts four other righteous men from the Bible, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They say the six to come 
would be the Messiah. Now, this is what the rabbis understood apart from knowing who Jesus is. They understood that this vav is here for a reason, and it points to the coming Messiah. It is he who is the greater David. David is the sixth from Nashon. The sixth is the greater. He's the one that's coming to replace David, if you understand that. The way that they determine this is the exact same way determined that Christ is Lord from Isaiah chapter 11. There, the seven spirits of the Lord are named, but the first is the spirit of the Lord. After that, six spirits would rest upon the man who is Messiah the Lord. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The third variation, that of the two vavs in the Atudim, or male goats of Judah and Issachar, point to the person of Messiah as well. As I said, the word comes from atod, which signifies destined, as in ready to become. The first of the two uses is in the male goat offering of Judah, which means praise. The vav signifies Messiah, destined to be the praise of God for and among his people. Now, you're the first people ever to hear this in human history, so I want you to enjoy what you're coming across. This came from Sergio's mind, and then he didn't know why these were in here. Now I'm explaining it to you. This explains the extra vav of the tribe of Judah. He is the praise of God because Judah means praise for God and among his people. It seems obvious because the Messiah comes from Judah that that is explained in the tribe of Judah. But it does not explain the extra vav of Issachar's offering. In this, we need to look at the meaning of the name Issachar. It means he is wages. Thus, unlike the other ten tribes that have no vav, we see here that the Messiah was giving us a clue as to his mission. He is destined to be the payment. Think of the altar which is being dedicated. The payment which brings us peace with God as is seen in the peace offering which is made upon this very altar where this is being dedicated, where these atudim are introduced into the Bible. There is no need for a vav in any of the other tribes' offerings because these two sum up the role of Messiah as is intended here. He is the praise of God which brings peace to man, and he is the payment which brings peace with God, represented by this altar where these sacrifices are being made. It looks to the cross of Calvary. It was a long set of verses to go through to make this point, but the point is is made. If nothing else from this very long passage, which we even cut short both in its reading and in its analysis because of the repetition, I would hope that you have learned that nothing is superfluous in God's word. That which seems to make no sense makes all kinds of sense when it is studied. Now, reading isn't study, but it is what you should do every day with this precious word. The study is what you should do with those who have had the time to prepare the study. Here, that's my job. And in our time together, you can combine what you know from reading with that which you learned from the study. In putting them together, you have a much fuller and more beautifully laid out picture of Christ. In the end, it is all about him. It is astonishing to think that we went through 72 verses, which people have been reading for 3,500 years, having no idea that the very reason for the repetition was to highlight a couple of differences. It really is astonishing. Nothing is wasted in God's word. Everything is there for a reason, and all of it always comes to one point, Jesus. Now, while I'm talking about reading, and you should be reading your Bible, I want you to know that I've been listening to my NIV live. I don't drive a lot. I drive in the morning to the mall and back. That's a mile each way, a mile and a half, okay? And then I go to the mission work. I come here on Thursday, and I come here on Sunday. And that's about it for my driving. But yesterday I had to go to an ordination meeting. Somebody that many of you know, Ray Willett, was being examined for ordination. Because if he becomes a missionary, he's going to have to be a pastor of whatever church he plants in Papua New Guinea. And so he asked me to sit on that board with Will Groban, who I've seen for the first time in years now. So we were on the board with several other people. We evaluated Will, uh, Ray Willett. We found him competent and capable of meeting the requirement. He will be ordained, I believe, in two Sundays. So please send him a congratulations. And that's a wonderful thing for him. But while I was driving out there, because it was a long drive, I was listening to my NIV Live Bible. And the book of Job was starting as I was leaving the 
house. As a matter of fact, it started exactly, I had to change the CD when I was leaving the house. <laughs> I want to tell you that if you have an NIV Live Bible and you haven't been listening to it, that's okay. You should start listening to it now, though. You need to get that into your car. But some of the people you can tell, they did not prepare for their reading. They're just not good readers. And some of them are rather good. And some of them are animated. And some of them are this and that. You know, you get all this variety. They got different characters reading all of the different things. I want to tell you that the person that is reading Job, I got through uh, Job 20 from 1 to 20 in my drive out to uh, Grace Baptist and back. The guy that is reading Job had me in tears yesterday at the beauty of his reading. I was so excited to get into the car this morning and start driving again to hear more of Job that I couldn't believe it. He is doing a magnificent job. I just thought I'd throw that in there because I'd like you to listen to your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible. The study, I understand. It's hard. Come and study with us on Thursday night. Be here for the sermons and you're going to learn things. But I was I was absolutely moved at listening to this man's passion. You could tell he went home and he read that and he read it and he got it perfect before he went in and had his voice recorded. It was marvelous. Okay, our closing verse comes from Ephesians 1. It's verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Well, he had to do that by sending his son to die for us, pictured by this altar which is being dedicated and remember the numbers 12 and 200 insufficient to redeem the people of the world something better was needed and it came in the person of jesus which this altar only pictured next week is numbers 8 1 through 26 don't be anxious don't lose your nerve it's entitled acceptable to serve Mm -hmm. that'll be our 15th number sermon the lord has you exactly where he wants you he has a good plan and a purpose for you It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there, carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I have a question for you. Last week, I stumped all of you, and so I'm going to try again this week. We had, let me see here, verse 12. We had three names listed, and I told you I'm only going to give you three of all the names, the meaning of the names, because... um, I didn't want to bog you down with all of the names that we've done in two other sermons. But Nashon means serpent person. Aminadav means people of the prince. And Judah means praise. Okay. And I said that praise is obviously there. Let the praise of the Lord go first. It's a picture because Judah is the first to go off as the cross is taken down and moved out into the wilderness. That makes sense. We have two other people. Nashon, serpent person, and Aminadav, which means people of the prince. How does that point to Christ? I've given this to you in a previous sermon. You should be able to remember it. Okay. Nobody? All right. People of the prince. Remember I said that the father's names of the people that are being listed pictured the people of Israel. It was uncanny how you had these patterns. And then the name of the person pictured Christ. Okay. So the father's name is people of the prince. So it's showing that Israel is the people of the prince. But serpent person. Don't you remember what I said? Remember, in coming later in Numbers, we have the people being bit by fiery serpents, and the Lord says something to them. Put a serpent on a pole, and if they look at it, they will be saved. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 1? He raised, that's right, that serpent is me. He is the one that took the curse of the devil upon himself. He was the one raised on the pole. And when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That is the picture there that I want you to remember. Don't forget it again. You forgot it in one sermon. Don't forget it again because we're going to be at that sermon coming soon. What? What are you looking at me for? Well, it's just easier to talk in that direction. I don't know. If I look at anybody else, I'll probably, uh, I don't know. You're, you're good to pick on, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Don't forget that again. Everybody remember that, that Jesus Christ, let me, we'll go there. We'll go there and we'll read it, just so you don't think I'm making that up. No, I remember. No, I'm, I'm saying everybody. There might be somebody online that says, well, that's blasphemy. Hey, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Here we go. Um, John chapter 1, and let me see if I can find it really quickly. All right, it says here, 
Uh, here we go. We got to get there. Um, and Israelite indeed. Maybe it's John chapter 3. I said John chapter 1. John chapter 3 is what I want. Give me just a second here. It says here, um, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He equated himself one for one and directly to that. And it's pictured in this person's name that is given right here in the book of numbers early before we get to that account. Great stuff. Our uh, poem today is called An Offering for the Altar. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. They did this as they were so appointed. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. Such shall be their proffering. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah, as the record does say. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was shekels 130 and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan, ten shekels full of incense as well, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burn offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, as the record does tell. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, twelve oxen, five rams, five male goats not grown in a lab, and five male lambs in their first year, this was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathan, try finding something to rhyme with that, okay? On the second, thank goodness we have a modern world where we can grow animals in a lab, okay? On the second day, Nathanel, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Nathanel, the son of Zuar. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Halon, leader of the children of Zebulon, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Halon. On the fourth day, Elitzer, the son of Shedeor, leader of the children of Reuben, for sure, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Elitzer, the son of Shedeor. On the fifth day, Shalumiel, the son of Zurishadai, leader of the children of Simeon, by and by, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Shalumiel, the son of Zurishadai. On the sixth day, Eliasaf, the son of Deuel, leader of the children of Gad, as the record does tell, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Eliasaf, the son of Deuel. Well, on the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amihud, leader of the children of Ephraim, so it is understood, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihud. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, leader of the children of Manasseh, for sure, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. On the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideoni, leader of the children of Benjamin, as we see, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideoni. On the tenth day, Ahizer, the son of Amishadai, leader of the children of Dan, by and by, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Ahizer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Okran, leader of the children of Asher, as stated hereon, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okran. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Anan, leader of the children of Naphtali, by the Lord, his name was drawn, presented an offering the same as before. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Anan. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, and twelve gold pans, as the record does tell. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels, and each bowl shekels 70. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve gold pans full of incense weighed ten shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed shekels 120. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve young bulls, the rams twelve, the male lambs in their first year twelve as well, with their grain offering, and the kids of the goats as a sin offering twelve, as the record does tell. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls, the ram 60, the male goats 60, all duly appointed, and the lamb in their first year 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Now, 
When Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, the voice of one speaking to him, he heard from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. Thus he conveyed his word. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you weave things together in this world so that we can understand who you are. Thank you for having put Sergio in my life and that one day he happened to be curious about something years before I would preach on it so that it would be there for us to hear and to understand. Lord, you are so good to us to do things like that. And we certainly pray for him and Rhoda as they continue their lives in Israel. And we pray for their uh, green card application, which is being worked on right now. We would pray that that would be done quickly and that they would be here sitting with us soon, enjoying your word and fellowshipping with us. But we leave that in your capable hands. And Lord, you heard the prayer requests at the beginning of this service. You know what they are. You know who they are. And we would ask that you would bless them, meet their needs according to your wisdom, prosper them in their ways and heal them if necessary. And Lord, we certainly pray for all of the missionaries that we send out from this church, either partially or in whole, that we uh, consider as members of our church in our hearts and in our lives. We pray for them that you would be with them, help them as they face the difficult situations that they have to endure, whether it's overseas or even in America serving for others. Be with them and guide them. Give them happiness in their hearts and the ability to meet their needs according to your wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.